Question to the Prime Minister, Andrew Miller. Number one, sir. M- Mr. Speaker, with your permission, I know that the House will want to join me in expressing our sincerest condolences to the families and friends of sappers Mark Quincy and Patrick Azimkar of 38 Engineer Regiment, who were brutally murdered in Northern Ireland on Saturday evening, and to send our condolences also to the family and friends of Constable Stephen Carroll, who was murdered while on police duty on Monday. At times like these, we remember the professional courage and dedication of our armed forces and the police. And I believe that at all times, the whole country will want and should give our support, our full support, to the men and women who serve our country. I think the House will also wish to extend our best wishes for recovery to those soldiers and civilians who were injured in Saturday's attack. Mr Speaker, the peace marches today on the streets of Northern Ireland show what I saw in Northern Ireland on Monday and what we are seeing right across the country. The unity against violence of the people and their representatives, the defiance and the determination to stand up to the evil of criminal violence, and the unyielding resolution to say with one voice that the peace that the people of Northern Ireland are building, no murderers should ever be allowed to destroy. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Andrew Miller. I know I speak for the whole House when I associate myself with the remarks the Prime Minister has made about those who have been killed and injured serving our country, as well as his remarks about Northern Ireland. Will my right honourable, my right honourable friend knows about my worries regarding the uh, vehicle industry and its supply chain. I know a lot is happening uh, in terms of discussions with the industry and its trade unions. However, when will the banks get their act together to help stimulate demand, not just for vehicles, but for all of our manufactured goods? Well, let me first of all uh, thank uh, my honourable friend for his constant support for the car industry and, of course, for Ellesmere Port, uh, which is in his constituency. And let me tell him that at the car summit today, the Minister for Business is explaining the £2.3 billion of support that is available for the car industry. I've also to, to tell him that to ensure that the banks serve companies and the public interest in the future, in this wholly new world, we are reshaping the banks. First of all, they have had to sign lending agreements worth £44 billion of extra investment that will take place this year. And we are also regulating the banks for remuneration and risk, for levels of cash flow, and for cross-border flows of capital. And we want to achieve an international understanding with other countries so that other countries will do exactly what we are doing. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I first of all thank you, Mr Speaker, for the kind words you said a fortnight ago about the loss of my son, Ivan. And I particularly want to thank the Prime Minister for what he said. It came straight from the heart, and it meant a great deal to Samantha and to me. We've had letters from right across the House of Commons and from thousands of people in the country, and it has been a great comfort to know that others are thinking of us. A lot of letters have come from families who themselves have lost children. And if there's a a common theme in them, it's that while the loss never goes away, there does come a day where you look back at your child's life and you think happy thoughts at their life rather than feel sorrow at their death. And I hope that day will come for us too. 
Today, I join the Prime Minister in mourning the dreadful losses of the three British families, Sappers Mark Quincy and Patrick Azimka and Constable Stephen Carroll. And on the day we remember the service of our soldiers, we should remind those who protest against them that they only have the right to do so because British soldiers put their lives on the line. On Northern Ireland, let us be clear about the nature of these crimes. They were committed by callous killers capable of shooting men in cold blood and standing over their wounded bodies and murdering them. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the most important thing in Northern Ireland today is that everyone works with the police so that these killers can be found, caught, charged and convicted? Yes, Mr Beard. Let let me welcome uh, back uh, the Leader uh, of the Opposition and I understand the grief that he and his family have been going through. Um, In in Northern Ireland uh, today, we are seeing a degree of unity amongst the political parties that some people thought that they would never see in their lifetimes. Uh, We are seeing all parties call for the citizens of Northern Ireland to cooperate with the police. We're seeing all parties condemning the violence that has happened. Uh, And we're seeing all parties uh, asking uh, those people who have information to help the police uh, track down these killers. Uh, As the House will know, uh, two uh, men have been arrested uh, as a result of the police uh, uh, killing. uh, And the hunt is on for those people who brutally murdered uh, the soldiers on Saturday evening. I can say to the House we will do everything we can to enhance uh, the security arrangements in Northern Ireland. I've talked directly to the Chief Constable Hugh Ord about it. Uh, We will leave no stone unturned in making sure that he has available to him all the arrangements uh, that are necessary uh, to enhance security there. And I do believe that out of tragedy we are seeing a unity which shows the determination that while a few murderers may try to disrupt the process, the whole of the people of Northern Ireland want not only to see justice done, but want to send a message that the political process is here to stay and is working. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is absolutely right about this unity. It is remarkable and it is remarkably welcome that every political party in Northern Ireland, including individuals who were themselves bombers once, bombers and terrorists, are calling on people to cooperate with the police. Does he agree with me that this highlights the importance of our reaction, which should be to say that Northern Ireland is not on the brink, is not staring into an abyss, but instead needs effective policing, the cooperation of the public, and the measured reaction of politicians. Aren't those the things we need to make sure that these murderers never win? I agree entirely with what he said, and I see the assent of all parties sitting in the House uh, to what we are both saying about the importance of uh, people working together to hunt down these uh, criminals. Uh, We are dealing with a small minority. Uh, The real IRA and continuity IRA have claimed uh, credit for these uh, uh, killings in a way that is sickening. Uh, and a way that they seem not to be able to distinguish either between the needs of the armed services and and civilians. Um, And calling civilians collaborators was something that I think was totally despicable. Uh, Mr Speaker, we will do everything in our power to track down these uh, killers, but we will also do everything in our power to support the police and the armed forces. Uh, It is right to raise the support that we give to our armed forces in every part of the country, and homecoming parades should be what people in the communities want them to be. And that is a celebration and a commemoration of the great service and dedication 
of our armed forces in every part of the country. And I believe that the country wishes the homecoming parades that are going on in Watford and then Windsor and then in Bolton uh, to go ahead without interruption. There is a right to freedom of speech, but there is not a right to disruption and to public disorder. And it is our duty to make sure that order is kept. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The whole House would have agreed with what the Prime Minister said about the value of these homecoming parades. But can I turn to another uh, issue? Serious allegations have been made that Britain may have been complicit in torture. Now, let us be absolutely clear about Binyan Mohammed. This is someone who claimed he was going to Chechnya to help civilians, and, but in fact ended up in Afghanistan. But nevertheless, his allegations have to be dealt with. Now, it's right that the Attorney General should see whether a crime has been committed. But isn't it also important that the Prime Minister is satisfied that Britain has throughout acted with moral authority over and above the question about whether a crime has been committed. And can the Prime Minister tell us what he has done to satisfy himself of the true facts in this case? Mr Speaker, let me say right at the outset, this government unreservedly condemns the use of torture. Under no circumstances will we participate in, encourage or condone the use of torture for any uh, purpose. And I have instructed where allegations are made about torture, they must be properly examined, including, if necessary, by the courts. Now, the Attorney General is looking at the very specific allegations in this case. If there is evidence, these will be ref- this evidence will be referred to the police, uh, and the police will then uh, be able to conduct a criminal inquiry. But the matter is at the moment with the Attorney General, who is looking at all the evidence. As I say, I've instructed that whenever allegations are made, they are properly investigated. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Well, I'm grateful for the Prime Minister's assurances, and we agree completely with what he says about torture being unacceptable. And we all want to eradicate the potential stain on Britain's reputation. But the question is whether an investigation into criminal conduct by the Attorney-General is enough. Surely we need to look at what procedures and processes are in place to ensure that Britain cannot knowingly or unknowingly be implicated in torture. Isn't that why we need a brief, judge-led inquiry into what happened and what lessons need to be learned? Mr Speaker, I appreciate what what he says, and it's absolutely right that at all times we're vigilant. Uh, because the freedoms and liberties of of this country are best served by making absolutely sure that we unreservedly condemn and do not allow the use of torture. The Intelligence uh, and Security Committee have investigated some aspects of these uh, matters. They have had reports that have been done in 2005 and 2007. Uh, They will uh, continue, obviously, to look at these matters because that is their statutory role uh, given uh, to them. Uh, At the same time, uh, the Attorney-General will look at all the details, and I've made it clear that there is a next stage. If If there is any evidence... Uh, that uh, should lead to a police investigation, that evidence will be referred to the police, and if the police uh, decide so, then a criminal investigation will be carried out. I think this is the best way to deal with these specific uh, instances. The Intelligence and Security Committee looks at the general cases. Thank you, Mr Speaker. But it's not clear that the Attorney-General's inquiry is going to answer the question that the Prime Minister himself rightly poses, which is, have we acted properly at all times during these procedures? The Attorney-General is going to be looking at the one case rather than the procedures in all cases. The Attorney-General is looking at whether a crime has been committed, quite rightly, but isn't really looking at our moral authority and whether it's been maintained. Doesn't the Prime Minister see that an inquiry is likely to become necessary? 
Either the Attorney General will find a crime has been committed, in which case there'll be a clamour for an inquiry to answer how on earth this was allowed to happen. Or, on the other hand, if the Attorney General decides not to go ahead with a prosecution, we still won't really have the answers to what happened in this important case. On either ground, wouldn't it be better to order that judge-led inquiry instead of having it dragged out in the weeks ahead? I have to say that the Intelligence and Security Committee has and continues to inquire into these matters. And, of course, we've had a debate about the full status of the Intelligence and Security Committee for the future, but they have looked at the issue of rendition in great detail in their previous inquiry. Can can I just say, as regards the Attorney-General, that the Home Secretary referred the question of possible criminal wrongdoing to the Attorney-General in her role as uh, an advisor to government. She is consulting others, as is necessary, about what needs to be done. Obviously, it is for her uh, to decide how she is likely to proceed, but the court, which heard uh, Binyam Mohamed's judicial review case, has made clear that they think this is the right way to proceed. So I hope he will allow the inquiries that are taking place to proceed, and on the general issues he's had raised, of course, Britain, uh, because uh, of our defence of freedom and liberty, wishes to be seen to be doing everything in our power uh, to deal with questions that arise about the use of torture or rendition, uh, but uh, I believe that the Intelligence and Security Committee at this stage is the best way to proceed. But let us uh, hear the report of the Attorney-General. Peter Hain. In addition to the welcome observations the Prime Minister made about the terrible tragedies in Northern Ireland, does he also agree that what is especially encouraging is the way that the leaders of republicanism have come out so clearly and unequivocally and condemned these terrible criminal atrocities and united. It would have been unthinkable, Mr. Speaker, even a few years ago to see the Deputy First Minister, with all his history, standing alongside the First Minister and alongside the Chief Constable and saying that we will not tolerate this criminality while still retaining his Republican objectives. That is what gives us encouragement or should do in the current situation. Mr. Speaker, I spoke to both the First Minister and the Deputy First Minister on Sunday, and I met them both on Monday, and both revealed their determination to make it absolutely clear that violence cannot be tolerated, that terrorists have got to be rooted out, that the community should cooperate with the police in doing so, and that they condemned absolutely uh, both the killings of a police officer and the killings of army officers who were on their way, uh, sadly, to Afghanistan and would have left that night but for the terrible incident. Uh, I say say to him that uh, out of this tragedy, something is happening that shows that the people of Northern Ireland, as well as the politicians, want the political process to be both maintained and strengthened. And I think that is a reassurance and encouragement, even in this most difficult of times. Nicholas Winterton. Hammered by falling interest rates, clobbered by falling share prices, and shortly, I believe, to suffer from the uh, inflationary consequences uh, of what we describe as quantitative easing. Does the Prime Minister not believe, and I say that sincerely, that he owes it to the saver, many of them pensioners, many of them pensioners, to have a full debate in government time in this House on government economic policies so that he can honour the commitment which he gave to this country at the beginning of his premiership to put the House of Commons at the centre of government in this country. Mr Speaker, we are happy to debate the economy at any time in this House. And to be able to show people 
and to be able to show people that we are taking the right decisions to get us through this downturn. And as, as for savers, and I appreciate the difficulties that savers face at this time, the greatest danger to savers has always been high inflation. We have kept inflation low in this country for the last 11 years. And I also say to him that we are looking at what we can do to help savers at this point. But, but if the Conservative Party uh, want to shout at the moment, perhaps they'll look at their own policies for cutting public spending. There is no country in the world that is choosing to cut public spending at a time when people are in need of the help that government can provide. The North East is aware of the importance of regional airports. Will my right honourable friend join with me in welcoming the Northern Echoes campaign, Keep the Region Flying, which promotes the economic benefits of airports such as Durham Chase Valley in my constituency? And is he aware that the Deputy Chair of the party opposite has recently talked down the future of Durham Chase Valley, threatening future prosperity and jobs? Uh, regional airports are incredibly important to the economies of all parts of this country. And I recognise the importance of uh, domestic air services to London airports uh, for the regional economy of the North East and for every other regional economy in the country. And I want to congratulate my honourable friend and the Northern Echo on their campaign in this area. I understand that the Minister for Aviation has agreed to meet my honourable friend to discuss these issues. In the longer term, I have to say, increasing capacity at Heathrow should help maintain and grow domestic air services. David Simpson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I, first of all, uh, thank the Prime Minister, the Leader of the Opposition, and all other members who have paid tribute to the tragedies that have taken place in Northern Ireland over the past uh, few days. Uh, Constable Carroll uh, lived in my constituency in the town of Banbridge, had served some 20 years, I believe, in the security forces and was due to take early retirement next year. Uh, I had the sad task of visiting the home yesterday, and whilst uh, his wife and family are heartbroken, they are resolute that Northern Ireland must move forward. Yeah. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that these vermin, for Mr Speaker, that's what they are, that took out Constable Carroll, will be brought to boot for what they have done and whatever resources the Chief Constable needs that it is important that all parties in the Northern Ireland Executive support that and that these individuals will never, never be allowed to put Northern Ireland back into the 35 years of hell on earth that we have come through. I I know the whole House will want uh, to pass uh, through you our condolences to the family of Constable uh, Stephen uh, Carroll. Uh, He was part of a tactical support group that was supporting a mobile uh, patrol unit responding to reports of a broken window in a house. And on the arrival at the scene, the number of shots uh, that killed him, uh, he was the first uh, PSNI officer to be killed by terrorists. Uh, and I hope you can pass on uh, all our condolences to, to his family. I can assure you that I've talked to um, the Chief Constable uh, on uh, two occasions and met him uh, subsequently, uh, and I've agreed with him, uh, as has the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, that he will have the resources that, that are necessary. 
Uh, we need the cooperation of all communities to bring uh, people to, to justice. Uh, two arrests have been made. It's for the police to make the further decisions uh, on, on that and then for the prosecuting authorities. But I have to tell them that uh, there is a determination to do everything in our power to bring what are criminal murderers to justice and show that they have no place in the political process of Northern Ireland. Thank you. Why does the government think banks are best run in private hands? Why does it favour the return to private investment banks it, rather than a state investment bank, investment bank. And if uh, banks are too big to go bankrupt, surely uh, it's in the public interest that they be run properly rather than public ownership of their private bad debt. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I know uh, he's come to these views not just in the last uh, few months, <laughs> but, but has held these views uh, for, for some uh, time. Uh, what, what, we, what we have uh, done for the first time is insist that banks uh, give us a quantitative figure for the amount of lending that they will do. So this is essentially a lending agreement between government and the banks that requires the banks to do a particular amount of lending. So the Royal Bank of Scotland, in which we have uh, more than 80% of our shares, has agreed to £25 billion extra lending this year and next year. The Halifax Bank of Scotland, Lloyd's TSB, uh, they have agreed uh, to £14 billion of extra lending on top of their previous commitment. And Northern Rock has agreed to £9 billion of lending. And this is an example of how, having learned the lessons of the last few years, we are determined to insist that the banks do their duty by the public. Holmes. 45 council staff in Chesterfield are about to lose their jobs to pay for the government mistakes that they made when they introduced the government's national concessionary bus fare scheme last year. 30 councils have been badly underfunded, Chesterfield by one and a half million. Yet some councils have been given too much money. Next door, Bolsover have been given £400,000 more than they need. There is still time for the Prime Minister to intervene with the Department of Transport, sort this mess out and save those 45 jobs. Will he do so? Yeah. Mr. Mr Speaker, I hope the whole House will agree that uh, concessionary travel, the new uh, free bus uh, pass for the over 60s that allows them to travel around the country is a good invention and a good thing to do. And I hope they will all agree that we have given support to local authorities and the issue is, the issue is and I know he's had a meeting with the Minister, uh, with Chesterfield and Derbyshire uh, County Council how much money they receive for the operation of this scheme. I can tell them Chesterfield is receiving an extra £416,000 as a Bower Council. This is in addition to existing formula grant funding for the pre-existing other elements of the statutory bus concession, and we will look at any points that he raised. But the important thing is that the concessionary bus scheme for the over-60s is working and will continue to work. Dennis Skinner. Is the Prime Minister aware that in Bolsover they vote Labour and they haven't put this Timpot Liberal Council in? (laughs) Is he also aware that this this so-called Liberal Council that's been there for a few years have lost control of its finances generally long before the bus scheme was introduced? 
So whatever he does, and I'm sure he will look at these figures, make sure that Bolsover retains the money that he properly gets from this Labour, uh, Labour, uh, Labour government and make sure that we're able to carry out this bus travel as in the past. It is, is absolutely right. Uh, the free bus pass for a pensioner, and, and, he, and he has also held these views for many years. Free bus pass for pensioners, what we've done in raising the winter allowance, what we've done to raise the basic pension, the pension credit, free eye test for pensioners. We are the party and we are the government that is trying to serve the needs of the elderly of this country and will continue to do so. Yeah. What has the Prime Minister bought as a direct result of the cut in VAT? Mr. Mr. Speaker, that, that it, may not, it may not matter to the Conservative members opposite, but people have at least £20 more in their pockets every month. That people have more money in their pockets to make a decision about whether to spend or save. And as I say, as I say the European Union yesterday agreed that in certain other cases VAT would fall. And it's, it's, it's as, the, as the Institute of Fiscal Study says, the effects of this are giving people more discretionary spending power, and that is the right thing to do. Only the Conservative Party could scorn an attempt to give £20 a month to every family in this country. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I, I thank the Prime Minister for his meaningful but <clears throat> measured presence in Northern Ireland on uh, Monday morning? Mr Speaker, I previously recorded condolences in this House to the two soldiers who were murdered in Antrim and visited Constable Carl's family uh, last night. Does the Prime Minister agree that those young people whom the Continuity IRA and the Real IRA are seeking to recruit need to know that the lesson of Monday night is that the real patriots serving the peace of the New Ireland were Constable Carl and his colleagues who went to answer the call of a woman in stress? not those who brutally murdered him. And while the Prime Minister has affirmed the determination of all parties to make sure that these groups are not able to set us back politically, will he also assure us of his determination that they will not succeed in their other immediate aim of setting us back in terms of the policing environment as well? I'm very grateful to my honourable friend. He was at the, the meeting of all the political party leaders on Monday uh, that was uh, convened in Belfast. All leaders attended. All leaders said that they were determined to root out violence. All <coughs> leaders said it was important to help the police in their task. And there was a unity of purpose that is now reflected, I believe, in the uh, peaceful and dignified uh, marches that are taking place in Northern Ireland today to show that the whole public wants to see an end to violence. Uh, he, he is absolutely right that those who gave their lives are true patriots. Uh, we will never forget them. They are in our memories forever.